The following message was given at Emanuel Baptist Church, Coconut Creek, Florida. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. O God, you are our God, our ever-present help in times of trouble, our great and enduring Father, our mighty fortress. We thank you for every opportunity you give to us to gather. We thank you for a day that you have set aside to call your people to join with one another, to unite our hearts on our voices, that we might give praise to you. We thank you for the power of your word and the work of the Holy Spirit to work within each and every one of us, to continue to walk by faith. And we pray, Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, that you would continue to encourage us by your word, that you would bring conviction where necessary, that you would continue to help us to grow in holiness and godliness, that we would have an even greater trust in our Savior. For those who do not know Christ, we pray, O Lord, that all that has happened here today might be used by you, that you would be pleased to send your Spirit to awaken them to new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be with us now, Lord, as we consider your word And as we turn our attention to the Lord's Supper, we're very thankful for these gifts and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll join me in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. And if you'll recall from our last Lord's Supper service, I'm going to spend uh, the next few months uh, dealing with the question of assurance. How can we have assurance in our faith as Christians. So that's what we'll be looking at this afternoon. In August of 1173, construction began on a bell tower to accompany the public cathedral on the Italian riverside of a city called Pisa. By 1178, the tower was built to the third story, but even by then it had a noticeable slant to it. Military conflicts with other Italian states halted the progress of the tower. It wasn't resumed again for almost another 100 years in 1272. This time, the construction construction went on for 12 years and was once again stopped because of war. The final push to finish the tower was in the early 1300s, but it wasn't completed until the bell was installed in 1372. Now, you, of course, know this by the famous name, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But when the tower was built, it was not built with a lean in mind. Every architect who has studied the tower has concluded that the lean to the tower was completely avoidable had the original planner used better planning. The tower was built on a shallow foundation. Extremely soft ground that's made up of sand and clay and deposits from the Tuscan River. The ground was too unstable to support the building, which was obvious from the beginning of the time of construction. And as the building was added to over the years, the additional weight obviously didn't help the lean, and the stacking of additional stories jostled the center of gravity, caused a reversal of direction to its tilt. It went the other direction. 
And so for a time, it actually, uh, it was actually completely opposite of what you would see today. And of course, with added weight and time and weather conditions, the tilt gradually increased from 0.2 degrees to eventually maxing out as far as five and a half degrees of tilt. In 1990, a team sought to anchor the tower, but their efforts were not entirely successful. And by 2008, another effort was made by balancing the foundational soil. And for now, it's believed that the tower might stay for another 200 years or so. Well, the reality is that John Berland, the engineer who worked on the original design of the tower, was not a prime candidate for the project. He later admitted that soil mechanics, the area of engineering that would play a pivotal role in stabilizing the tower, was his worst subject in school. Now, this, of course, is rather important information and not necessarily something you want to overlook on a guy's resume if he's building your tower. But Berlin is a good example for all of us. His shortcoming is a reminder of just how important the foundation is. We can have the most beautiful, elaborate structure in the world designed with the most amazing details, every square inch of the building. But if it's built on a faulty foundation, there's very little hope that it will stay upright in time. But more importantly, we must consider our lives. We can achieve great things. We can have all the academic degrees we're able to get in this life. We can wear the finest clothes. We can have the most sculpted bodies. We can have more money than we could ever think to spend. But in the end, if the foundation is faulty, everything will come crashing down. What assurance do you have that you will stand? That even if something comes along and pushes and prods and seeks to to tip you over that you're not going to fall. Christians can have that kind of assurance. And so we're going to consider what kind of foundation each of us is building our life upon. Are you building on a solid rock foundation? Or are you building on shifting sands? Will you stand straight? Or is there a lean? When trials and persecution and suffering and difficult circumstances come your way in life, will you stand or fall? And how do you know? So we're looking at a very familiar text of scripture in Matthew chapter 7. Let's begin reading in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Well, the first thing we can see in this text is very obvious, hopefully to all of us in verses 24 and 25, that Christians must put all of their hope in a firm foundation. As we consider assurance, I want to talk about it in terms of our standing, how we stand or better what we stand upon and whether or not we will stay upright. Very practically, I hope you will think about your own life and how you are faring in this fallen world. 
How are you going to make it through all of the trials and all the temptations that come your way? Jesus provides us with a very simple parable. And in this parable, we have two men, each of them building a house, one on the rock, the other on the sand. One he calls wise and the other he calls foolish. He relates this to hearing and doing what he has said. To hear and do what Christ has said is wise. To hear and not do what Christ has said is foolish. It's simple. It's very straightforward. But it has profound implications for our assurance as believers in Christ. What are the things that happen in our lives that shake our foundation? That cause us to doubt our standing with Christ? And threaten our assurance? All of us have different reasons. But generally it's safe to say that the most common reason we doubt our assurance is that we've maybe done something in sin. Or when the circumstances around us are, are taking, uh, taking over us to the point that we're doubting the nearness of God. Or we're doubting His goodness in our lives. And the, the assertion that Jesus is making in this parable is that when situations arise, in other words, when the rain falls and the flood comes and the wind blows, we need to have a firm foundation. A Christian who has built a solid foundation upon the rock of Christ, not just professing to know him, but coming to him and hearing from him and doing as he commands, that person stands faithfully. Through deep waters and fiery trials and rivers of sorrow and troubles of deepest distress. The floods will rise, the streams will break, the waves will crash, but the faithful man upon the rock will not be shaken. And when things are at their worst, we have to be honest. Cliche, bumper sticker Christianity isn't going to gain you much confidence. It's one thing to say, I'm too blessed to be stressed. And it might sound fine, but it's not going to bolster your assurance. Because without any further knowledge, without any real substance, you can't really have anything to stand on at all. All you're left with is your feelings. And when your feelings take precedence over what you know and what you believe, it won't take long before your foundation crumbles when all of the waves come crashing in. Your feelings are not reliable. And you cannot be assured of anything if you are depending on your feelings. Jesus is so intent on on ensuring us that if we're standing upon his word, and his commands, and his promises, and living our lives in such a way that we are fulfilling the very things that he has called us to, that we will be ready when things around us seem like they're falling apart. How do you know that Jesus loves you, and that everything is going to be fine? When you walk into your child's room to wake them up, and they don't wake up, How do you know that Jesus loves you? Because he's given you a lot more than a cliche phrase to hang on to. Because he's shown you time and time and time again in the scriptures that his people have been backed against the wall and God has provided. 
Because he's shown you that in the midst of the most fearful times in the lives of his people, that he showed up and provided resources and gave grace and gave mercy and gave comfort. Because he promised that he will never leave or forsake you. Because he's proven time after time after time that when his people are unfaithful, he remains faithful and continues to gather his bride and to bring her home. Because he's shown us that he alone holds power over sin and death and he alone is the king and conqueror over every rival power in the universe that seeks to stand in our way of assurance. Because he has promised that whether tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword ever come our way, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this, this doesn't mean that the next time you do something stupid or sinful, that you're not going to struggle hard with wondering why God would do anything other than destroy you. It doesn't mean that when you get the news that things aren't going well with your health, that you're not going to have a hard day or a hard week or even struggle with trying to understand why God is doing the things that he's doing. But what it does mean is that you have enough of God and his word in your heart and on your mind that you will be able to stand because you know that you are united to Christ. And you know in your communion with God who is your firm foundation and who calls us to dwell not on our circumstances so much as with our eyes upon him. So what's the alternative? He shows us in verses 26 and 27 that without a firm foundation, everything will be destroyed. If we're building our lives upon lesser things than Jesus Christ and the gospel, and let's be clear, that's anything else. The constantly shifting sands will give way when the storms come through. And if our hope is that everything is going to be fine in the end because we have fat retirement accounts or nice houses or the best medical care and insurance, our lives are going to look like a hurricane just swept through them and we're living in a shack made of sheet metal. This is Jesus' illustration for a life on sandy ground. A life that knows nothing of God's word. A life where we have no real knowledge of God's promises and evidence of assurance in our life. Or more devastatingly, a life where we have no real communion with God whatsoever. It's a life that pulls away from ever having to set our minds on the things of God, to think and to pray and to listen and to hear and to work out that all, all that God has given us in his word. Everything that comes into that kind of life is going to shake and eventually break whatever is built upon it. Let me put it in theological terms. From the day you and I are born, we have a spirit of legalism implanted deep in our hearts. And so how do we relate to God and to others? Well, we do what comes to us naturally and we interact on the basis of law. We don't have to do anything at all to be self-willed and self-righteous and condemnatory. It's natural. It's who we are in our fallen nature. 
We're addicts of earning our salvation through our works. But the problem for Christians and the reason that we struggle to get our footing on solid ground and find assurance is not necessarily doctrinal legalism, but it's practical legalism. We dealt with this a lot in the book of Galatians. And here's what I mean. We may be able to talk about the gospel, to have a full conversation about what the gospel is and all of its implications in a doctrinal sense, but to varying degrees, we are going to struggle with working out the power of God's free grace in our everyday lives. A weak foundation is one of two things. One, it's something other than God and the gospel altogether, which is simply being an unbeliever. Or two... It's a false notion that God himself is legal like we naturally are and that his requirements are too rigid or that his heart is too small and restricted toward us to enable us to be able to stand upon his words, his commands, and his promises. What does that do? Well, believing such lies will shut us up to ourselves and close our hearts against God and against one another. And so we put everything into self-effort or self-discipline. We rely on the power of the flesh. We become very hard-nosed with ourselves and with others. Or we lapse into deeper and deeper sin, convinced that we're too uptight about our holiness. We convince ourselves that we just need to loosen up. And so we either drive ourselves deeper into practical legalism or we give up altogether and plunge into a life of complete licentiousness. Both places leave us in the very real but unjust fear of not being loved and accepted by God. It's the reason we live under the bondage and condemnation and the reason we put others into the same bondage. We still have legal hearts. Instead of living by faith in the love of Christ for gospel obedience, we live by the flesh and we offer legal obedience. Obedience which is the strained effort. It's self-effort. And instead of living by faith in the Son of God in order to please God, we go back to the law and live under it to prove our worth and our acceptance to God and to one another. Yes, The law is, for us as believers, our rule of life. However, it is no longer what we seek to obey as our title to life. In other words, yes, God writes his law upon our hearts to guide us in the way of holiness. He empowers us by his spirit when we're saved to be able to walk in obedience But if we've truly been justified by Christ, he will not condemn us, nor can he, even if we break his law. Now, unless we understand this and live in this, the dead man of the law will rise within us again and again and again and show himself or herself and our legal legal, uh, temper of living our lives. So what does all this mean? Well, it can seem ironic for us that in order to stand on a firm foundation, we have to fall as it pertains to ourselves. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we regard ourselves to be a creature infinitely inferior to God and entirely dependent upon Him. We see ourselves as unworthy sinners, 
as inexcusably guilty, as the proper object of the wrath of God and deserving of his condemnation and his judgment and an eternity in hell. In doing so, we regard God to be righteous and just to condemn us of our sins and good and gracious to forgive us our sins. And when we do this, there's no more blame shifting, no more excuses, no more fig leaves to hide behind, no more lies or self-deceit, no more supposed goodness, no more self-assurance, no more self-righteousness. No more lies or deceit. No more claims that we are better than we actually are. Because there's no longer a self to put forward. Finally, we've died and our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And brothers and sisters, only when we've died to ourselves can we stand on solid ground. Only when we've died to ourselves can we find a footing in the trials and challenges of this life. Only when we've died to ourselves can we have real, lasting, true assurance of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to restrain our sins and bring ourselves to do our duties by slavish performances so that we might be esteemed highly among our friends. But we cannot put a single sin to death or perform a single act of obedience which God accepts apart from Christ. We dare not trust our sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There's nothing sweet within me that I should trust in. Even my greatest and best deeds, my greatest and best efforts to do something that is good and holy and right apart from Christ is as a filthy rag. But that's our tendency, isn't it? We tend to trust our sweetest legal frame because we still carry within us some self-righteousness. And when we trust in ourselves, as Galatians 2.21 says, we do away with the grace of justification. We must see that in our self-sufficiency and in our self-reliance, we can so doubt and underrate the freeing power of the gospel, we live as though it's not true. We hear the gospel, we believe the gospel, but at some point we start to think, it just seems, it seems too easy. It seems like there should be more, that there should be more required of me to do. I know I don't deserve this. I know the life I've lived. I don't deserve to be saved. So there has to be something more than God's free grace to save me. And if you are a Christian and you live under that weight of condemnation, or if we still treat the law as if it's our way of gaining eternal life, we're always working for it and we demonstrate that we're living as though we were never saved at all. The truth and reality of it is not abiding in our hearts. It's not gripping us. And so you see, if we are truly in Christ and we don't have assurance, it's not just pride and rebellion against the gospel. And it's not just that we're not living in light of the love of God. It's that we're denying God himself. We're too easily duped by the lies of Satan and the lies of our own legal hearts. That God's heart is small toward us. Or that he loves us only upon conditions that we fulfill. 
Consequently, we still live much of the time under the bondage of our sin rather than under the sovereign grace of God. So we must discover, and I pray that all of us would do this, that we would seek to know the remaining legalism in our hearts and root it out by the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. If we're going to keep from being swept up in the storm and tossed out onto the shore naked and alone, this is what we must do. Only two houses are being built, those with a firm foundation and those without. Which house is yours? And if we're going to gain assurance, where must one begin? One must begin with what Jesus himself said. Come to him, hear his word, and rest in and upon him, and not yourself. Not your efforts, not your ability to do this or that. Not in trying to impress anyone or to prove your worth or that you have something that's better than the next guy that God should take notice of. No. You need to let go of yourself and you need to hold on to Christ. As Jesus made so clear when they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. That is it. You see, not one of us will do anything God requires with perfection. We will fail time and time again. But thanks be to God that while we strive for obedience, our salvation is secure in the finished and perfect work of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect law-fulfilling life. He died a sinner's death on behalf of his people that we need not depend on our own faulty, imperfect righteousness. But we can know that the righteousness of Christ has been counted to us as ours if we are in him. Do you know and trust and love the Lord Jesus Christ? Then you can be assured that the righteousness that you stand upon is a solid, immovable, irreplaceable rock. Believe God. Take in all his word. Rest in all his promises. Delight in the life that is truly yours to live in communion with him. Troubling days will come. But with Christ and his righteousness under your feet, you have a place to stand and ultimately you cannot be taken down. Have you built your, hel- your, your house on the faulty foundation of self-worth and self-love and self-righteousness? Then submit yourself to the one and only King Jesus who paid the penalty for sin. Admit your sin, repent of your sin, and bow your knee to his authority over all your life. Build your life not upon your own foundation, it's sinking sand. Build your life upon the good foundation of Christ that you might have full assurance of life in Christ. Life everlasting. It's for our good. His righteousness is everlasting. And when we trust in his righteousness, our life with him is everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your precious word and for the precious reminder that we as your people are called to stand faithfully upon the righteousness of Christ alone. I ask, O God, as we examine our own lives and we ask, what are we building upon?
that we would have a full assurance of our salvation. That as we look what's below our feet, that we see the firm foundation of Jesus Christ alone. We pray, O God, that you help us to live with a constant reminder of your promises ringing in our hearts. Of the truth of your word. That we have believed in Christ. And when we have believed upon Christ, that we cannot be taken down, we cannot be taken away. Help us, O Lord, to abide in Christ all the more faithfully, trusting all that you have given to us, that we might know that we are yours forever and ever. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church and on our current building project, you can visit us online at ebcfl.org. That's ebcfl.org.